Well, I, I guess I got everything. What's wrong, Pally? Ain't no time to drag your ass. You got it made now. I guess you'll be eating off of silver slippers from here on out. Mm. That's right. No more fish sticks and chocolate milk for our cabin, boy. Fellas, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was just thinking. I'm sure my daddy would give you all jobs at the hotel. Mom's <laughs> <laughs> word. We're just a bunch of old, broken-down fishermen. All we know how to do is fish. And stink. Right. But the sea is part of me now, too. It, it courses through my veins and, and through my organs and, and through my bladder. Now, don't be silly, champ. Your place is here with your pop. You know that. You're a fancy lad. And you ought to be proud of it. Time for another year interview episode here on Out of Touchstone. This is Mike DeKalb, and on the other end of the line is Chad Smart. Chad, are you ready to wrap up 1994? You know, I think we've been doing this show since 1994. I, you know, we were talking off off podcast, off air, I guess, uh, about the format of the show, and we're both like, "What do we do? How how did we do this before?" And I looked today to find out when we started covering 1994 in the year in touchstone and i have no idea what year it is by any means I, <laughs> I someone asked me the date the other day and i'm like uh i don't know but i looked at the first episode of 1994 and it's like february 22nd i'm like oh wow it seems like we've been doing 1994 much longer than that that was february 22nd of 2022 and we were recording this at the end of march or end of april 2023 yeah. So it's been a while that we've had to do this. So yeah, it's. Uh, I hope I can remember what's going on. I. I mean, <laughs> you know, when we get to the Ronnies, it's all going to be Cabin Boy anyway. So. Uh yeah, about that you might be surprised. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. If anybody's actually going back and listening to these episodes in a row, they're going to be like, "What are they talking about? They're all just in the library." Yeah. In a but you're like, "Yeah, we took a little bit of a hiatus. I'm sorry, I bought a house. So, <laughs> but now I got to remember. Yeah, how did we? How do we do these uh, year-end episodes? Well, usually we yeah. kind of start by looking at the films that Disney put out. Uh, Touchstone had 10 films this year, and Disney put out nine. Hollywood also put out 10. We'll start with the Touchstone films. Um, I was going to actually kind of quiz you if, you if you didn't already know mm -hmm. ahead of time and just be like, do you remember what is the highest grossing Touchstone movie of 1994? Um. I... Can I even name the 10 movies in that Touchstone did in 1994? Uh, I'm going to have to go with, uh, yeah, because the, the ones that I can think of are Disney or, or Hollywood pictures. Um, yeah. I, I'm just going with Cabin Boy. Again, everything's going to be Cabin Boy. This, oh, man. This you're, you're keeping it alive. No, the highest uh, ranking Touchstone film on the year in box office chart was ranked number 28. And it made $50 million. And it was When a Man Loves a Woman. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the next on the touchstone chart in 44th place was I Love Trouble with 30.8 million. My Father the Hero finished 54th with 25.5 million. Renaissance Man was not far behind it in 57th with 24.3 million. Now that's it for the top 100. Touchstone <laughs> only has four movies in the top 100. The next film on the chart for them is number 101, which is The Ref, which made 11.4 million. The Inkwell was 114th place with 8.9 million. 
Ed Wood was 136 on the chart with 5.9 million. Cabin Boy was 146 with 3.7 million. And yet two touchstone films were worse than Cabin Boy that year. Uh, not right, right behind that at 148 was uh, a simple twist of fate with 3.4 million. And then the box office chart that I was looking at only goes to the top 100. And sadly, it's Pat did not crack the top 200 movies on the charts. Uh, it's Pat, the movie only made, I, I always, I usually don't go into specifics all the way down to the dollar, but I always do with it's Pat, the movie, it made $60,822. That's all. So if you look at the the whole year, 10 movies, only $164 million in the course of 10 movies, $16.4 million apiece. Uh, we've only been doing these Ronnie Awards since the 1988 year. And so this year is by far the worst. 1992, that they made less than $200 million at the box office with Touchstone, but they only had six movies that year. So when I'm looking through the history, the lowest per movie average was in 1993 with 26.3 and so we're 10 million dollars less than that in night from 1993 into 1994 that is that is astounding i mean i <clears throat> i think i want to recount on cabin boy i think people were sneaking into <laughs> it more than paying to see it but uh, you know i'm just looking i have the top 10 films for the year pulled up and you you said Touchstone made 164 million. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's just barely good enough to get into third place overall for the top ten. Yeah. So. Well, the good thing is it wasn't a total loss that year for Disney because, and Walt Disney Productions themselves had two of the top four movies on the chart. Mm. Uh, number two overall was the lion king sorry i'm spoiling your thunder mm. when you give us the top 10 uh lion king made 312.9 million and the santa claus which was fourth place made 144.8 million uh angels in the outfield was 24th place 50.2 million d2 the mighty ducks was 30th place with 45.6 million the jungle book was 33rd place with 43.2 blank check was 46th place with 30.6 million dollars there you go six movies in the mm. top 50 from disney alone whereas touchstone only had two yeah uh, iron will was 62nd place with 21 million white fang 2 myth of the white wolf chat i forgot we watched that movie oh <laughs> uh, that was 115th place with 8.9 million and then squanto a warrior's tale was pulling up the rear with 3.3 million dollars good for 151st place uh, sadly, Hollywood Pictures is not much better than Touchstone. They, they make about the same overall amount of money. And I'll, I'll quiz you again, Chad. Can you name what you believe to be the highest ranking Hollywood picture on the year-end box office chart for 1994? I'm going to guess it's not Color of Night. No. And I'm wrecking my brain trying to think of what we watched. My Dinner with Oswald. I don't know. <laughs> the highest grossing Hollywood picture from 1994, which was 48th place on the year in box office chart, $29.4 <laughs> million, a low down dirty shame. And then right behind that in 49th place was in the army now with 28.9 million. I, a low down dirty shame is the highest grossing <laughs> Hollywood picture of the year. Interesting. Quiz show. Quiz show. A best picture mm -hmm. nominee. Only made $24.8 million, good for 56th place. The air up there was 61st place with $21 million. 
color of the aforementioned color of night was 70th place with 19.7 million terminal velocity was 87th place 16.5 million so they get six movies in the top 100 better than touchstone only had four camp nowhere camp nowhere was 106th at the box office wow 10.5 million and then angie was 112th place with 9.4 million the puppet masters was 116th place with 8.6 million and then pulling in some it's pat type numbers at the bottom of the hollywood pictures box office chart 195th place holy matrimony with seven hundred and thirteen thousand dollars so yeah like i said disney gets six films in the top 50 two of the top four but touchstone in hollywood really struggle like i said when a man loves a woman is the only film from either studio in the top 40 at the box office yeah so overall across the three labels walt disney company had 10 films in the top 50 i guess it's not bad but only 17 in the top 100 yeah chad give us the uh top 10 at the box office for the entire year you know mike real quick before we get to the top 10 i'm just looking at the top 100 here and i i have to say you know for me personally, I consider like 1985 or 1987 to be the best year in cinema, just mm-hmm. because of a lot of my childhood favorites were released those years. But 1994 has a lot of strong films. So I can understand maybe why Disney didn't do so well with Touchstone and and Hollywood Pictures. You know, they were trying some really? new, new stuff, but I mean, there's a lot of good competition out there and films that I will air quote as classics from 1994. So Okay. Well, what the draw? Well, what were the top 10 movies from that year, Chad? Enlighten me because this would have been, I would have been a freshman in college at that time. So I'm curious to see what movies I wasn't seeing in the movie theater. I didn't go to the movies when I didn't Uh, know anybody. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, I saw every single movie in the top 10 in the theater when it was released. Really? Oh, wow. So at number 10, we had Pulp Fiction with 107.9 million. Really? That, that actually made the top 10. I, for some reason, I was thinking of that as like some, this small little Miramax indie no. picture and it got a lot of momentum with all the awards and stuff, but I didn't, wow, top 10, huh? Yeah. Uh, number nine, you had The Mask with 119.9 million. Okay. You know, Jim Carrey was just on a roll in in ninety in the early 90s. Oh, for sure, yeah. Uh, speaking of being on a roll, number eight is The Bus That Couldn't Slow Down, a movie <laughs> Speed. called Speed. With 121 okay. million. Nice. Uh, number seven, a movie I actually fell asleep during uh, watching in the theater. Clear and Present Danger, 122 million. Okay. Okay. Number six, we just mentioned him, uh, Dumb and Dumber, 127 million. That was number six. Wow. Okay. Uh, number five, we had uh, Flintstones with 130.5 million, which again, the Flintstones being the number five film of the year seems like. If you'd asked me that earlier, I would have never guessed it would have been a top 10 film, but people love them some John Goodman, I guess. I guess, yeah. Uh, you mentioned number four is The Santa Claus with 144.8 million. Number three is True Lies with 146.2 million. Number two, Lion King, 312.9 million. And the number one movie that was just a juggernaut, it just kept running and running at the box office. It's Forrest Gump with $329.7 million. And like you said, you said you saw all 10 of those in the theater. Yeah. Including Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction, was, again, I I'm still can't wrap my, my head around the fact that Pulp Fiction was a top 10 movie. Because yeah, wasn't I, it like two hours and 45 minutes long too, right? Yeah. Something like that. I mean, I was in college. You know, I'd seen Reservoir Dogs uh, in the theater, in the college uh, theater when I was a freshman. So 
Uh, I knew of Quentin Tarantino even before he kind of, you know, before Pulp Fiction blew up. And I just think uh, everybody was excited to see John Travolta back on the big screen. I guess. I, I, mean, I remember it being a phenomenon. I do. I just did not look at it as a top 10 movie. It was fun. I did not look at the top 10 ahead of time. I wanted you to surprise me. And that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, as we told the line between art and commerce, <laughs> we know how the, the top 10 successful films, we know what those are now. But what about uh, the Oscar awards? I would like to look and see if any of the touchstone pictures got any award nominations. And sadly, there were only two nominations amongst touchstone movies for the year. They were both from the same film, and they both won. That movie was Ed Wood, which got Oscars for Best Supporting Actor for Martin Landau and Best Makeup for Rick Baker, V. Neal, and Yolanda Toussaint. Now, what were the other Oscar winners of that year? Chad, I'll I'll hand it over to you. 1994, we mentioned a lot of the Best Picture winners were big at at the box office. They kind of took up a lot of time in that late fall. It seemed like every time we were doing these episodes, looking at August and September, the Best Picture nominees were already there. So what did we have on the the big Oscar movies of that year? All right, we're going to go down sort of alphabetical, and uh, we'll start with the Best Actor, your nominees. Or John Travolta again, making his comeback before uh, before Battlefield Earth came along and landed it back on Earth, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, he was nominated for Pulp Fiction. Paul Newman was nominated for Nobody's Fool. Nigel Hawthorne was nominated for Madness of King George. Morgan Freeman for The Shawshank Redemption, and your winner, Tom Hanks, Forrest Gump, going back to back for the first time in uh, several years in the Oscar history. I can't remember. I, I, I think it up. was, I want to say it's like Spencer Tracy in the thirties, I believe. Yeah. yeah. So good enough. Yeah. And if it wasn't, um, it is now Who, who's going to fact check us, you know, <laughs> so, uh, for supporting actor, as you mentioned, Martin Landau won for Ed Wood. And, uh, you know, if you remember anything from this Oscar ceremony, when he won one of his, uh, the people he beat out was none too pleased. And that would have been Sam Jackson, who was also nominated for Pulp Fiction. Ah, okay. Yeah. And then uh, Paul Schofield was nominated for Quiz Show. Oh. Gary Sinise for Forrest Gump. And Chaz Palminteri for Bullets Over Broadway. Oh, wow. Okay. Which, which is going to come up a lot more in this list than I would have expected. But, um, yeah. Uh, for Best Actress, you had uh, nominees included Susan Sarandon for The Client. Winona Ryder for Little Women. Miranda Richardson for Tom and Viv, Jodie Foster for Nell, and your winner is Jessica Lange for Blue Sky. Okay, that's you, right. You remember Blue Sky, right? That was that movie. I think, wasn't it? It sat on a shelf for a couple of years. For four years, yeah. Yeah. Three and a yeah. half, four years, yeah. I, I just watched it this afternoon before we recorded, and I, oh. I, I can understand why Jessica Lange won. So Okay, okay. Um, supporting actress, uh, your nominees were Jennifer Tilly for Bullets Over Broadway. Uma Thurman for Pulp Fiction, Helen Mirren for Madness of King George, Rosemary Harris for Tom and Viv, and your winner was Diane Weist for Bullets Over Broadway. Okay, I remember. I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the Best Director category, your nominees. I'm going to butcher this name, so cinephiles, please forgive me. Christoph Kozlowski for Red. Okay. Robert Redford for Quiz Show. Quentin Tarantino for Pulp Fiction. Woody Allen for Bullets Over Broadway, and the winner was Robert Zemeckis for Forrest Gump. Okay. Do you want to take a guess at the nominees for Best Picture? If I can recall all five of them, it would have okay. been Pulp Fiction, Quiz Show, 
Shawshank Redemption, Four Weddings and a Funeral, and then the winner was Forrest Gump. You are correct. Yeah. And just as a side note, I've, we talked about Robert Zemeckis, I think, on this show. Um, he went to, he was from Chicago. He went to Northern Illinois University before transferring to USC and then going on to greatness. I went to Northern Illinois University. I took a class on Robert Zemeckis and he spoke to our class the year before I took it. And my teachers had actually recorded it on a VHS tape and we got to watch it in the class. I have a copy of it. I've since uploaded it onto YouTube if anybody wants to see it. But I believe in that Q&A that he did with our with the students, they asked him about winning the Oscar for Forrest Gump. And they said, you know, you were, you had won a bunch of the Guild Awards and all the all the awards leading up to the Oscars. How Were you nervous? What did you think about your odds for winning the Oscar? And if I remember correctly, he said that it, he said it was like having a relative going into the hospital for a minor surgical procedure where he said he felt like, you know, there's always a chance something goes wrong, but there's a really, really good chance it's going to be fine. They're going to come out. And he said, that's what it felt like. He said he had, he thought he had a pretty good chance of winning. There's always a chance he wasn't, but he's like, I got a pretty good idea that I'm going to walk away with this. And he did, interestingly mm -hmm. enough. So, well, that's the Oscars. Those are passe. You know what's really <laughs> hip? The Ronnie Awards. Jeff. Oh, I thought you were going to say the Young Actors. Award. Oh, well, we should, we should probably have a whole <laughs> segment on that on this show. Uh, no, we we have we have come up with our own awards. It's just the Ronnie Awards, named after the very first head of Touchstone Pictures, Ron W. Miller. Um, I will start, Chad, with the Best Supporting Actress category because I will say that this was not the best year for women in Touchstone films. I don't know how much difficulty you had coming up with an actress and a supporting actress nominees and winners. Yeah, this was the last category that I filled in about an hour before we started recording because I was thinking we should just do an episode talking about how uh, how little meat there was for women in the first 10 years of Touchstone, really. Yeah. But yeah, the, the 94 was not a good year. No, no. And so I, I'm not... I mean, her. She was fine. I'm not. I'm not going to say that she was just what I had left to choose from. But my choice for the best supporting actress was Sarah Jessica Parker in Ed Wood, and you know, I think that role she can kind of be seen as a shrew. You know, she's like an obstacle for Ed reaching his success. But she really showed a lot of range by being a supportive spouse, but also confused by what Ed was going through. You know, mm -hmm. and I feel like we talked about it on that episode. But like, much has been made about how the real Dolores was more supportive and only divorced Ed because of his alcoholism, not the cross-dressing, you know? So I feel like Sarah Jessica, Jessica Parker had an uphill battle with the script, you know, but she, she played her as a very sympathetic character. You know, she cares for her husband, but she's still shocked by his behavior. But I, I was really impressed with her role in that movie. Yeah. I, when I was starting to put my list together, I was kind of going under the, uh, the belief that I was going to be like, no Ed Wood. Cause that's just, <laughs> I think anybody that listen, has listened to our, you know, all the episodes recapping the movies of the year, Ed Wood is our highest rated film of, of 1994. So I was just like, you know, I figured instead of just going the easy way of picking Ed Wood, I would go f for something else. Um, that that uh, turned out to be too difficult to do. So, <laughs> um, but I will say for my best supporting actress, I went with Catherine O'Hara in a simple twist of fate. Oh, see, I did like her. I did like her a lot. Yeah. yeah. And, and really it was kind of process of elimination of going like this movie didn't really have a strong supporting actress. This movie didn't have a strong supporting actor. So I was, it basically came down to Catherine O'Hara or Sarah Jessica Parker. And I flipped the coin and went with Catherine O'Hara. 
Yeah. The only other one I had as an honorable mention was Patricia Arquette from Ed Wood as well. You're <laughs> getting into that thing where Ed Wood's getting everything. I mean, yeah. And Jada Pinkett was pretty good in, in the inkwell as well, you know, yeah. but yeah. 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 I just, it, truth be told, it's been so long since I watched the inkwell. I don't remember <laughs> that much of it. So yeah, I was kind of going probably more because simple twist of fate is more recent in my memory. Wow. Well, hopefully this will be the biggest slam dunk we've ever had in the Ronnie Awards history. Chad, who did you have as your choice for the best supporting actor? Uh, see, this one I did go differently. I knew that what? Landau would be the obvious choice being the Oscar winner and because it's such a great performance. So I wanted to spread their wealth around. I went with Kevin Spacey in The Ref. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, interesting choice. I wasn't sure if that's support or lead. That's kind of a tough one. Yeah. Yeah, I figured Dennis Leary would be the lead. So Kevin Spacey takes the supporting role although i mean i guess they could have both been supporting or lead however you want to look at it but yeah like i said i mean put an asterisk beside it because probably should have i probably should have picked martin landau but i I did think kevin spacey was really good in the ref well i'm sorry we don't all have rich mummies and daddies we can live off of or open restaurants when we get bored playing tennis you told him about the restaurant yeah I heard you couldn't cut it working for a living, Mr. Brooks' brother, so you just... Shut up! You know, you and my wife have a lot in common. You both think you have some right to life working out the way you want it to, and if it doesn't, you get to act any way you want. Problem with that is someone still has to be responsible. I'd love to run around taking classes and playing with my inner selfness. I'd love the freedom to be a pissed-off criminal without any responsibility, except I don't have the time. But you don't see me with a gun. You don't see me sleeping with someone else. You think my life turned out the way I wanted because I live in this house. You think every time I look in the mirror, I shout, gee, I'm glad I'm me and not some 19-year-old billionaire rock star with a body of an athlete and a 24-hour erection. No, I don't. Oh, no, he's fantastic. Yeah, he was. I actually have Kevin Spacey as my honorable mention in the best actor category. I did. I liked him a lot in that movie. But, you know, you're right. Yeah, you we don't want to be so obvious, but I mean, like. Martin Landau won the Oscar, you know, and so I, I, and plus the fact that like I, he loses himself in that Bella character, you know, the makeup helps, but as we learned from those bonus features, you know, he also picked up a Hungarian accent mm-hmm. and the mannerisms and then the, the character himself, you know, he nurtures Ed, he uses his experience in the Hollywood studio system to kind of inform Ed's independent spirit and he kind of fits so well into that ragtag bunch of weirdos that Ed surrounds himself with, right? He never, never looks down on them. And, and then obviously, you know, of course he depicts beautifully the horrors of drug addiction, you know, just, it's just like, it's so funny because this guy was, he was from the actor's studio. He'd been an Emmy nominee. I can't remember if he'd won or not for Mission Impossible, but like to have this late career performance, it was just outstanding. Yeah. And then my, did you have an honorable mention? Cause my honorable mention was Gregory Hines from Renaissance Man. Hmm, that's a good one. No, I did not because I would have just had Martin Landau. Martin Landau. My, yeah. <laughs> well, you mentioned how uh, Kevin Spacey was your supporting actor uh, nominee, whereas my choice for best actress was Judy Davis from The Ref. Hmm, you know, okay. and I I feel like you know she'd been around for a while, but it was probably the first time I knew who she learned who she was. You know, hmm. and she was amazing. It was like a, yeah. a a tour de force performance. She's over the top at times, but it's kind of expected considering the stress of what she's going through in that house. You know, and she she adds I put put it in my notes. She adds warmth to the tender moments in the film, and she has great comic delivery for the funny hmm. scenes. Because I feel like you know if you remember this movie, Chad, the comedy was very irreverent and crude and judy davis is this really classy actress but yet she can go into the gutter 
with this like upper class sophistication. And it just made that, that role so memorable to me. Yeah. It's a good choice. And was my honorable mention, uh, my best actress though. I went with Meg Ryan for when a man loves a woman. I just, my honorable mention. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just thought, I thought she was really good. I do agree with the criticism that I remember from the critics saying like, she's a little too bubbly for the role at times. Like you don't really see, um, you know, a negative Meg Ryan. You just see the the personality coming through, even when she's drunk or, you know, at her worst in the film. But, uh, you know, I just thought that Meg Ryan did a really good job with a role that could have been very uh, comical in the wrong hands, you mm-hmm. know, because, you, you know, playing drunk is either, I think, either really good or too slapsticky. And I thought Meg Ryan pulled it off really well. Yeah, no, I, I again, I don't doubt it. It was that was sort of a toss up mm-hmm. for me between Meg Ryan and Judy Davis. Yeah. And I just went for Judy Davis because of com- doing the comedy and also the drama as well. But yeah, Meg Ryan's a good choice. Mm-hmm. And then Chad, who did you have as your best actor for 1994? Uh, see, this one I think would be probably where we're, we might agree finally. We'll uh, see. We'll see. <laughs> I went with Johnny Depp for Ed Wood. Uh, he, was a cl- he, was, he was in my, I had three people. I had Kevin mm-hmm. Spacey as my honorable mention. I had Johnny Depp and then I had my choice. But go ahead. Why was Johnny Depp your choice? Uh <laughs> Just because he's, it's Ed Wood, you know, like I said, it's the best film of, of Touchstone in 94. And I thought Johnny Depp did a really good job where it was, and also looking through the eyes of 30 years, you know, past, it's Johnny Depp and Tim Burton before Johnny Depp just becomes kind of a caricature of what Johnny Depp is in Tim Burton films now. And I thought, mm-hmm. you know, like you mentioned with um, Sarah Jessica Parker, the way Johnny Depp handled the different layers of Ed Wood's personality and and everything. He just embodied the character so well that I I, I believe that is what Ed Wood actually was like. Oh yeah, no, I mean he has that. Like I said he has that really optimistic spirit. He mm-hmm. he 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 does a good job of like you said. He just leads this group of weirdos, mm-hmm. and and like I said, he's never he's never down. And he just rolls with the punches. And yeah, I, I did like him a lot. And the funny thing is, like, I think that role kind of put him in, I wouldn't say into the A-list, but that's where you really saw the serious Johnny Depp. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess he'd done Gilbert Grape just before that. But before that, what did he had done? Edward Scissorhands, Crybaby, stuff like that. And so, yeah, I, he was one that he was just off of my choice, just mm-hmm. off of my, like say, my, I, he was in my top three. I'll put it that way. Okay. So that must mean that your top uh, best actor is Chris Elliott. Ah, you're just going to keep running with that, <laughs> running with that cabin boy. No, uh, you had Meg Ryan as your best actress. I had Andy Garcia from When a Man Loves oh. a Woman as my best actor. Yeah. And I really thought, you know, I mentioned this movie is supposed to be about Meg Ryan, right? But he does this really fantastic, understated performance. You know, you I feel like the spouses of alcoholics have such a tough time. You know, they want to be supportive, but they also beat themselves up with guilt and I think Andy Garcia just struck a great tone between the two, you know, and I, it would have been so much easier for him to have these like huge monologues and this like bravura over the top acting, but he just served the script. Well, he gave a well-balanced performance. He didn't, you know, so as not to steal any of the spotlight from where it should be, which is on the addict, you know, you know, I'm sure Al Franken kind of just wrote it as he probably was in the bat when, in, when he was going through that in real life when Al Franken was dealing with that with his wife. I'm sure he, he, he didn't, What's the word I'm looking for? He was sort of on the sidelines, you know, mm. he didn't have to to have those big, those big dramatic scenes. And I think it was, it's kind of ironic that even though the spotlight's supposed to be on Meg Ryan, I thought that he was the better of the two. I miss my wife. 
And I miss my daughters. And things that work. Basically everywhere. I can't get a handle on things. Everything's loose and fuzzy. I look at her now when I drop off the kids at the house and I see what a wonderful job she's doing with the kids and I wonder why. And maybe she'd never really need me as much as I thought she needed me. She thinks the girls need more watching after. Especially Casey. She's our youngest. You think they're growing up fine on automatic pilot. But uh, you really have to watch them closely because, you know, they just... They're always hiding stuff, even from themselves. But yeah, I thought he was great. And then, like I said, Johnny Depp, and then I had Kevin Spacey as my honorable mention. Yeah, did you have an honorable mention, or was it Chris Elliott? Uh, it was Chris Elliott, because, you know, this uh, these pipes are clean. That's all I gotta say. Uh, okay, no <laughs> one's, no one's going to take our award seriously. Oh, <laughs> uh, Chad, do we, should we, do we need to come up with the best picture for 1994? I think we've already uh, said it repeatedly. Uh, yeah. Cabin boy. Yes. Of course. Why, <laughs> how did I miss it? How did I miss it? Was it, was it David Letterman's cameo or yeah. was it, uh, Andy Richter's limited role was just, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's just so much there. There's so, I mean, that film is going to be studied for years to come. Oh, uh, you know, maybe not for the best, but yeah. Uh, I'll just say, Chad, why why was Ed Wood the best picture of the year? I mean, I think we've kind of covered it. And if you, you know, go back and listen to the episode where we discuss Ed Wood, it just, it's a biopic that just hits on every, every element is, is near perfect. It is, a, you know, it's, yeah. and I don't know, maybe, you know, as we discussed, maybe it's the cinephile in us, maybe it's the wannabe filmmakers in us that, gravitate towards it more than the average uh, film watcher would but like i said i just think everything i i can't pick out a a serious negative in the film yeah it just is such it you know it, it flows well um the comedy's there the the drama's there the acting throughout the entire cast and it's got george the animal steel so <laughs> they're right there well, I, yeah, I, I, I think I, I mentioned it on the show as well, but I think I see it as a combination of like a love letter to a bygone era of Hollywood while also being a sharp and funny look at film production, you know, and it places importance on the idea of creativity, collaboration, while also being accepting of others and sticking to your dreams. It's just, it's such an uplifting story. You know, it, it's sad that it didn't do a whole lot at the box office, but I, I always recommend this film to anyone ever since my, our friends, Sean and Mike, who were on that show, the, they're the ones that introduced it to me when I were, when I was in college. Yeah. I will say, Chad, you know, we joke about how long it took us to get through this year and hopefully what <laughs> this will never happen again, but do you have an, what, what is your honorable mention? What, what was your second choice in all seriousness? Please don't say Kevin boy. What <laughs> no, was your honorable mention? You know, in all seriousness, I'm probably, I, well, I'll, I'll go with, um, I'm going to segue into the, our biggest surprise then, because that would be when a man loves a woman for me. Um, oh, okay. I really like, I, I like the film, you know, I wasn't expecting 
Um, I wasn't really expecting to enjoy the film. You know, I, I, given the subject matter and given the fact that as soon as I heard that title, all I could think about was Michael Bolton. And, you know, I thought I'm going to go into this kind of already expecting it not to be too melodramatic and too sloppy is not a word, but uh, just, you know, it's just like, Oh, she's a drunk. It's I'm going to take care of her. And no, I, I was really impressed with how, I, as I said on the show, as how kind of realistic the movie was in dealing with that situation. And um, okay. so, yeah, I, you know, if, if Ed Wood had not been released in 1994 and I actually had to pick a movie that is actually worth watching for average viewers, which I know cabin boy is, a that's a specific film viewer. That's going to enjoy that film. But yes, if you want a good film, go with when a man loves a woman. So you said that was your most surprising movie of the year as well? Yeah. Okay. Well, my my honorable mention for Best Picture was The Ref. I, I, I mm. Again, it's just because it, it I'd seen it back in the day. I did not see it in the theater, but see, watching it again for this show reminded me of just how much I love that movie. It should really be like a Christmas staple, I yeah. think. Yeah. My most surprising movie of the year was Renaissance Man. And I mean, I had high hopes for the film, even from the moment we started the show. It was one of those ones when I saw it on the list of movies. I'm like, I remember that. I'm looking forward mm. to seeing that. And, you know, I, of course, I grew up in a military household, so I, I was really expecting it to be great. And I, I think I loved just about every minute of it. You know, it was funny. It was thought provoking, great acting all around, even from Mark Wahlberg, who I really can't stand as an actor, <laughs> but I liked him in this. And I mean, I would have liked to have seen maybe more of a love story for Danny DeVito, mm. but it was also nice to see how the script kind of focused more on his relationship with the students. And as I mentioned, as my honorable mention for supporting actor, Gregory Hines was, was so good. So good. And it's one of those movies that I wish more people would see. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I saw that movie when it came out on video. So I I had seen it prior to us watching it for the show. So that's probably why I didn't consider it for my biggest surprise, because I already knew about the film. So I went with a film that uh, was new to me, as okay. NBC used to say. <laughs> yeah and we joke on this show when we do our ronnie awards episodes we don't dwell, like to dwell on the negative but i will yeah. and it we, we gotta have a yin to the yang for most <laughs> most surprising movie we always have that most disappointing movie and i'm sorry chad smart <laughs> my most disappointing movie was cabin boy you know it's it's pat doesn't count that that's just the bar is is just way too far down you know i, I don't want to take too much time going into because i again i know you like it but i wasn't expecting greatness by any means <laughs> but the bar was set pretty low and this movie still couldn't meet it in my opinion i i get it comedy is subjective but this just didn't do it for me and i I feel like chris elliott does have some talent but it's better served in supporting roles Mm -hmm. i think yeah let me see that well my biggest disappointment actually was it's pat and you know it's hard to say that it's your biggest disappointment when you had so little expectations to begin with but kind of like you just said with cabin boy like it's pat was just so so one note and i think that's the biggest problem with it you know if they Mm -hmm. would have crafted a better story other than just trying to figure out is it a he or she you know it but when that's the basis of every single scene in the movie you're just like okay get it this is why it's a skit and not yeah no full-length movie and and uh yeah i you know i just saw julia sweeney on something recently that i was watching and i'm like oh it made me think of it's pat which is probably the only time that I will do that is uh, <laughs> I see Julie Sweeney, but um, yeah, I just, you know, Saturday night live films are hit or miss anyway, but 
and it's Pat would not have been a character that I would have chosen to base a film on, but it's at least cabin boy. I can say there's at least three actual funny scenes in the movie. It's Pat. There's one. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we mentioned it on that episode, but at least it's Pat had Charles rocket. You know, (laughs) I, I did like that, but yeah. And Saturday night live movies, they can, there can be good ones. You know, we just, we just got proved a couple of years earlier that Wayne's world showed you can do it. If you just craft a script around these characters. And like you said, it's a one joke movie that just got repeated over and over again. And it was like, mm-hmm. this is, how does this constitute a film? I don't know. <laughs> Did you have a, a choice for the best soundtrack of 1994? Um, I did, but uh, in all honesty, it's only because it features the Baja boy, Baja men. Sorry, they were the Baja boys at one point, but then they grew into the Baja <laughs> men. And uh, so that is my father, the hero. Oh, okay. Any movie that has the band that released Who Let the Dogs Out has to be on some list somewhere. Okay. No, I, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, it, it does kind of have like a tropical Caribbean type of soundtrack to that movie, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, my choice was the Inkwell, uh, mm. just because I feel like it. the whole point of of, of movie soundtracks is to kind of kind of like add mood and atmosphere. And when you're dealing with like these period pieces, it's going to supposed to help transport you to that era. And that, this is, this one's perfect. You know, it, the Inkwell is a movie about African-Americans working hard to live the American dream and a society that pushes them down and marginalizes them. And I think the soundtrack, what I thought was interesting is it reflects some of the lesser known songs of that era. I mean, you, you got Gladys Knight and the Pips, but it's not, Midnight Train to Georgia, Heard It Through the Grapevine, one of those. It's a song called On and On, which I saw. It was a top five single, but I feel like I never heard it before this movie. You know, we do get, you know, Let's Get It On by Marvin Gaye. But this there's, I think, several different songs by the group called BT Express. And they were the band that I used. I used one of their songs in that episode. I've since bought their debut album on vinyl, the best way to listen to it. (laughs) And I just, I really enjoyed a lot of that stuff. There was a song, there's a song called Do It Till You're Satisfied. And then another one called If It Don't Turn You On that I really enjoyed it. And it made me want to go dig deeper into that band. And I I feel like what I thought was interesting is it would have been so much easier and maybe costlier to pick more popular songs from that era, you know, go the Days and Confused route. But I like that the filmmakers use songs that would have likely only been popular in the African-American communities. Hmm. stuff that we might not know about it uh you know you and i might not know about it i mean for an honorable mention standpoint i totally forgot about my father the hero i didn't even think about that one i mean i had ed wood just because it's got a great score by howard shore you know not maybe not a lot of like you uh, previously existing music needle drops and stuff like that but uh yeah i, mean, I feel like i have to go re- revisit the my father the hero soundtrack now well yeah i know you want to listen to gerard depardieu's version <laughs> of thank heaven for little girls because oh my god Oh, okay. Got me back in your head hole. No, please don't. Please don't. Please don't. Well, all in all, you know what's funny is this was a very underwhelming year for Touchstone. I feel like you know Edward. Edwin won some Oscars, but it made no money. The Ref yeah. has now become a bit of a cult Christmas film, but it came out in March. You know, we, we get Steve Martin making a serious movie, but no one sees it, and then we get two of the biggest bombs that Disney ever released with Cabin Boy and It's Pat. Uh, we get some great acting. Touchstone continues to give some inexperienced writers and directors a chance to make studio pictures and build their resume. You know, I feel like it's kind of the impetus of this podcast, you know, movies like Renaissance Man and and even like even something like I Love Trouble, you know, I feel like 
you talked about how you saw a lot of these movies in the theaters. I didn't. I, I was I was living at home. I had just moved to the to a small town in Illinois. I was going to the local junior college. There was there was only one theater, two theaters near us. I didn't get a lot of movies, and so I missed a bunch of them. And so it was great to finally see them. And even a movie like I Love Trouble, like it's, the movie's not great by any means, but it, it made me very nostalgic for those star vehicles of my youth. I mean, do you, I hope that you're getting something out of this podcast along the same lines, Chad? Where we're getting to revisit some of these movies of our of your college years, right? Oh yeah, I. It's it's fun to go back and watch films again that I you know saw in the theater but haven't seen since or you know discovering new new films and films that uh, you know I didn't watch for whatever reason probably because it didn't appeal to me at the time but now being older wiser uh, less selective with what movies I watch I, you know it. Uh, you yes you you run the gamut of either finding something like when a man loves a woman or the inkwell or it's Pat, but <laughs> it's just, you know, again, you and I are cinephiles. We appreciate filmmaking. And I think also just going back and looking at different styles, you know, how film has evolved over the last 30 years, or, you know, like, like I said, with the puppet masters, you watch that movie and you can pick out within probably a three year time frame of when that movie was made. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. Those extreme '90s, early '90s yeah. movies, right? You know, and that's funny because we'll kind of dovetail into that. Like, I'm, I think this is now the third year since we did our reformat where we added in the, the touch of the Hollywood and the Disney movies, and I'm so glad we did because I mm -hmm. finally got a chance to see some movies that I've always been curious about, like Terminal Velocity and The Air Up There. I know that may not be the mm -hmm. most popular. I like that movie, and I really, really enjoyed Blank Check. You know, so just another one of the ones that just really kind of took me back. And then you get movies that are like these terrific little gems that you can find on Disney Plus, not a sponsor. Stuff like Iron Will and Camp Nowhere. I, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. Was there, was there a movie between Touch or Hollywood and Disney that you kind of that stood out that you're so glad you got a chance to watch because of this show and because of our reformat? Well, you mentioned Camp Nowhere, and I just keep repeating you, but Camp Nowhere is a fun film. Um, yeah. Uh, Again, blank check to other than the one problematic scene in today's <laughs> standards. Um, you know, it's a, a that's a, kind of why we started doing this podcast, you know, to begin with is because those are the movies that we're not seeing these days, well, yeah. you know, and I'm not saying they're not getting made. They're just not known. And so maybe in 30 years when we decide to do a Netflix film podcast and oh, we'll God. go back and look at you know everything all 2700 movies they put out in a year and we'll find something like that but yeah i just i i think it's also just a chance to kind of uh revisit like a better term a simpler time and just yeah. when when i was going to movie when i was watching movies purely for escapism and entertainment yeah and i and i know i've referenced it on this show i think i've talked about it ever since i've known you the 20 plus years mm -hmm. I used to refer to the years between 1993 and 1997 as a, as a film vacuum because 1993 is when I graduated high school and 1997 is when I went off to college. So those four years I was living at home. I only had a, had a couple of friends. I was working. I was going to the local junior college and I wasn't really going to the movies. So there's so many great movies that I remember seeing commercials for or a trailer for that I'm now getting my chance to see. And so we're going to continue. I mean, the, I'm glad we're doing the reformat because 1995 is a very, very odd year for Disney. Touchstone only releases six films, kind of like they did in 1992 and when we did the reformat for the first time. For the, but <laughs> Disney and Hollywood Pictures crank out a 
bunch of movies in 1995. Hollywood Pictures does 16 movies in 1995. So I got to, I'm still trying to decide how I want to split them all up into cohesive episodes. I might divide them up by studio and then we'll just do the deeper dives into the touchstone ones and mm-hmm. then kind of just the overview of the Disney and Hollywood ones. Uh, I mean, I hope we can make it interesting, especially because we've got a lot of movies that I've always wanted to see, but I also think like we're going to have some next year that are. <laughs> I'm kind of iffy about stuff that's just, just bombed at the box office, you know, which I guess they 1994 had a couple of those as well, but I'm hoping that, you know, maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised something like just, just like I was with uh, iron will, for example. Yeah. So we will be kicking off 1995 very shortly with a, with an obscure CIA thriller about bribery and blackmail. What movie is that? Well, you're just going to have to tune in to find out. Once again, this is Out of Touchstone. My name is Mike DeKalb. You can find me on Twitter at Mike DeKalb. I'm also run the Out of Touchstone Twitter account. It's at Out of Touchstone. You want to shoot me an email? It's out of touchstone at gmail.com. My co-host, Chad Smart. You can find him on Twitter at Chad Smart. Chad, do you have any final thoughts on the year 1994 with Walt Disney Pictures? I just, like I said, it was such a long year in more ways than one. And I'm looking forward to 95. I just, you know, we talked about it before. There's a lot of movies in here that I've not seen. So I think I'll be curious to see when the 95 Ronnie's comes around to see what is both surprising and what, uh, you know, how we feel the mid mid point of the nineties decade, where I think, you know, decades usually take a few years to get uh, their identity and I think 94 probably started the identity of the 90s. So I'm curious to see how how 90s 95 is. Well, very well put, Chad, because I, I think I'm, I get very nostalgic about those 90s movies with the soundtrack and the visual mm-hmm. style and everything's so extreme. And so, uh, yeah, I guess our podcast will go, be going more extreme as we continue. <laughs> this is Out of Touchstone, and we're out of time. Out of Touchstone is a Honey Nerds production. For more information, go to outoftouchstone.com. Be sure to follow at Out of Touchstone on Instagram and Twitter. And also, please like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening. So, you're cool, I'm cool, we're cool. Thank you. Good night. Oh, I crashed my nose.